Vision Sunday 2019, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. And I first want to just say Happy New Year to everyone. Um, how many of you had a good New Year? How many of you ate cabbage on New Year's? When are y'all going to learn that don't work? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think about that. Every year people eat cabbage because it's supposed to be a blessing financially, but yet they're never getting that blessing. How many of you know sometimes we look to wrong sources for things? Right? Only the Lord could provide only those things. So, hey, but I like cabbage. I'm not going to, I'm nothing against cabbage. I like good cabbage. But, uh, you know, sometimes we do things and... I never, I intended to go this way. <laughs> but sometimes we do things in this life trying to receive an, a, a result, but we're doing the wrong thing, right? And how easily are we fooled thinking, oh, somehow if I eat cabbage, I'll be financially blessed. Is there a cabbage patch doll in heaven that's uh, there to, in charge of finance? No. Come on, if you want to be blessed, what does it say? Give and it shall be given to you. Sometimes we need to really re refresh what we think about it. Sometimes we do things out of tradition and different ways that we just don't think of why we're even doing them. And God has a certain plan for things. Well, this is my question for you right now today. If you knew success was a certainty, if you knew success was a certainty, what would you attempt to do? Think about it. If you knew something in your life would be a success, what would you attempt to do? And I'm not, I'm not looking for answers. I'm just getting you to think. You see, sometimes we don't realize the power we have with God working in our life. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Now, again, let's refocus on that thought. It's not about, oh, can I buy a yacht? Can I do this? I'm talking about kingdom things. Right? Notice what we're going to read from a, from a verse in uh, Matthew chapter 17. Again, this is what uh, the Lord had been dealing with me over the last couple of weeks and about that 2019, 18 was, uh, was going to be a year of shaking and then we're transitioned to awakening and then 2019 will be a year of breakthrough. Notice what it says here. Uh, again, just a little backdrop of what's going on. Jesus' disciples had went to pray for a demon-possessed boy. Now they prayed for him, but the demon didn't come out. So the boy's father comes find Jesus, and, and this is where it goes on. It says, then the, after uh, Jesus, the man came find Jesus, Jesus prays for the boy, and the demon leaves. Okay, but then notice what happens here in verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, and I want you to circle this, why couldn't we drive it out? Circle that. Why couldn't we drive it out? He said, we, we prayed, but it didn't happen. We prayed for other people, uh, things, and demons left. And remember, Jesus took, gave them authority to, for, uh, over all those things. But Jesus says this in verse 20. He replied, because you have so little faith. He says, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And then he makes this statement. Nothing will be impossible for you. Circle that. Nothing will be impossible for you. And in the beginning of this verse, we're seeing they're praying, why couldn't we drive it out? 
How many of you have been praying for something and it hasn't come to pass yet? Only Sister Hazel? Well, good, praise God. Everybody else's prayers all came to pass already. Hey, man, we could just go home now. Amen. How many of you have been praying for something and you're waiting for it to come to pass? Maybe it be the salvation of a lost loved one, something like that, anything. And what, he's, what we're seeing here is that something happened in their past that they prayed for and was wanting to have happen, but it didn't. And Jesus says, when you, your faith, and I want you to understand, there's times and seasons of everything. In Ecclesiastes, the Bible says there's a time and season for everything. And when they went pray, that demon didn't leave. But Jesus says there's going to be, when you're going to have faith as tiny as a mustard seed, he says nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible. Then I don't have it in your notes here, but the verse 21 in the King James says this. Uh, if you put it up there, Matthew, it says this. How be it, Jesus told him. This kind goeth uh, not out but by prayer and fasting. Okay, so I want to quickly kind of go through this. They were praying for something that didn't happen. But Jesus is telling them it can. And in the future, I believe there's many things you've been praying for in 2018 that hasn't happened yet. But by your faith, by holding on and take courage as you hold on, you're going to see victory in 2019. And he says that this kind doesn't come out by prayer, but by prayer and fasting. And what I want you to understand is he was questioning the amount of faith they had. In other words, how much do you do y'all trust God? Y'all weren't trusting God enough. And when he goes into uh, some manuscripts that carry, uh, the NIV doesn't have verse 21, but King James does. He says this kind goes out by prayer and fasting. Sometimes what you're praying for needs a little bit more prayer. Sometimes it needs, Jesus also showed them that, you know what, you couldn't do it, but I can. You guys were reliant, you had so much success in your life, praying for other people, seeing people healed, that you began to think it's you more than relying on God. You hear me? Sometimes we don't rely on God enough. He says, your faith is too small. You went and you thought, yeah, this is going to happen because of us. We're there. And he says, no, prayer and fasting. What fasting does is depriving the flesh to draw closer to God. In other words, Jesus was saying, sometimes, guys, you all need to let that chest swell down and realize it's not you, but it's the power of God. But he didn't say that y'all won't be able to do those things. He says some things, in other words, he's saying if you just need to get a little closer to God, and it would have came out. So I, I believe that 2019 is the year of a breakthrough, that some things you have been praying for in the past that could not happen, this year will. You hear me? That if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, this year you will see it come to pass. Now, you, you say, you know, New Year's and all these things, and, uh, you know, everybody makes New Year's resolutions, and that's what I just said. How many of you know God's in the new? God's all about new. God likes new things. Okay, uh, think about this. Let's, let's just show you here. Uh, Revelations 21 verse 5 says this. He who was seated on the throne said, I am doing what? Making everything new. How many of you know when you're born again, the old has gone and the new has come? 
So what was happening yesterday, we don't want to drag it into today. And l- let me share this with you. Uh, I was so blessed. I-, I got it on Facebook, and it just went so well. Again, going into 2019, I don't know if you, many of you may have read it, but it's about anybody ever flown on a plane? And when they make their announcement and the thing, the stewardess makes the announcement for things. Notice what it said here. It just went so well with, with my message. It says, hello, welcome to flight 219. We are prepared to take off into the new year. Please make sure your attitude and blessings are secure and locked up in the upright position. All self-destructive devices should be turned off at this time. All negativity, hurt, and discouragement should be put away. Should you lose altitude on the should we lose altitude on the pressure during flight, reach up and pull down a prayer. Prayers will be automatically activated by faith. Once your faith is activated, you can assist other passengers. I love that part. You, once your faith is activated, you can assist other passengers. Do you know God does miracles in your life, not just to bless you, but that you need to do it and share with others? It says that the God of all comfort has comforted you, so in turn you could comfort others. God never does something for you in your life just for you to hold on to. It is always about he does it for you, for you to take it and share with others. What God has it. Paul said, uh, for by the grace given me, do I give grace. It's what God gives you is what you share. It says there will, it, then it goes on to say, there will be no baggage allowed on this flight. For 2019, the captain, God, has cleared us for takeoff, destination, greatness. Amen. And that's what I believe 2019 is. Notice it said, put away your baggage. Put away these things. There's things that we have to do. And what I want to just show you here this morning as we continue here is how God is going to move in in this uh, church. God has a plan, a a place for your life and for this ministry. And I believe it goes there. Let's look at another quick um, thing here. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great mercy, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are what? New every morning. Great is your faithfulness. They are new every morning. In other words, God has a reset button. God likes new because it's like a reset button for our life. Anybody ever had the press, especially with a computer, how many times you got to reboot sometimes? Because it gets so cluttered up, you got to reboot for it to work right. And that's what I, what's great about with God. It's every morning your mercies are new. But and with us, we, it's, it's not just January 1st. But we all somehow get into the January 1st where what? We're going we're gonna to lose weight. We're going to do these things. We're gonna, we all make these resolutions. In other words, we're trying to reset our life. But I want to make sure we're resetting the right thing. Okay, what is kingdom priority? Not earthly priority. And I, I, look, uh, you know, I, I'm all for, you know, again, starting fresh, trying to eat, be healthier and all these things are good things. But I need to make sure that my main focus is on eternal things, not just the earthly things. Amen. 
So as we reset, so this next part on your paper, it says new year, new you. A new year or new you. New year and new you. Well, that sounds weird. New year, new you. (laughs) (coughs) But I want you to understand, again, uh, as I was talking to Cabbage in the beginning, how many of you know that the best way to do things is the way God would have us do them? Many are uh, ways of man's heart. We come up with many plans. And how many of us have been trying to live through this life, trying to better ourselves and do things, but it's really on our plan and not what God's plan is? See, God sent his son here to live on the earth for 33 years. And we are to watch his life. I believe, you know, I don't believe we should try and come up with a new plan on how to live this world and be victorious in this world. I think we need to look back at Jesus and follow his path in this world and do what Jesus did. He was the perfect example. We don't need to try and reinvent the wheel. So let's look at a couple of verses here. We need to do it his way and not our way. Jesus' plan and path, God's plan and path for our life. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. When, when, when we, and the vision and the plan I'm talking about is Jesus' life. His example he set for us, the way he walked, the whatever he done in life, we are to follow that example. Again, even in water baptism, he was water baptized to set an example for the believers that we get water baptized. Okay? So again, notice what uh, the NIV version says it this way, where there is no revelation. And a revelation is something that becomes seen that that was not seen before, that you hadn't seen before, that you see it now. It has been revealed to you. So it says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. He says, but blessed is he who keeps your law. Now, notice what it says. The happy ones, the blessed ones, are the ones that follow God. Casting off restraints is I'm not doing it God's way, I'm doing it my way. And again, if I'm not doing it God's way, I'm becoming God in my life. I'm taking charge of my life. I'm not letting God be in charge of my life. So, as we move into this new year, I want you just to see, (coughs) again, what Jesus came to do in this world. This is what I want to share with you for a second. In Luke chapter 4, verses uh, 18 through 19, uh, this is referencing Jesus' reading scroll from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. I have it there in your notes. Uh, it, things. It, it's a pro- in Isaiah, it was the prophecy of what Christ was coming in this world to do. Okay? Now, I want you to understand, and Matthew, if you put that image up there that I didn't put up, I'm getting ready to read God's Word to you. And this is what I want you to believe God's Word because this is the, the truth in, if, of everything. The devil has no authority over any Christian except the authority we grant him by believing him. See, I'm about to read something to you and some people, well, I don't know about that. The only authority the devil has over you is when you believe him over God's word. It's what you give him. How many of you know that this is the truth, not what he says? So notice what he goes to say. The purpose, 
that Christ would come into this world. It says, and Jesus is reading. He went to the synagogue, and he, uh, he's picked up the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads this, speaking of himself. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he had anointed me to do what? Preach the good news to the poor. Number one, to preach the good news to the poor. And that word poor there isn't talking about financially poor. It's meaning poor in spirit. Those that realize they need a Savior, not those that, the, the Sadducees and Pharisees that were proud and religious. He's saying, I've come to preach the good news to the poor. Those that know they need a Savior. And I want to tell you something, that's what he came into this world for, and I believe 2019 is what he's going to do, is those that you've been praying for to come to the Lord, that this year they're going to see that, that they're going to hear the good news and their eyes are going to be open. Then he says, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Bondage, those that aren't free. If you're in bondage to something, if you're in bondage to addictions of any type or anything of that way, God is going to break those chains this year. This is why Jesus came. He came to do this. And then he says, and recover the sight to the blind. This, call, this is, covers two things. It's, it's partly a physical healing of a naturally blind person. We've seen Jesus uh, walk around and heal blind people that were physically blind and then they could see. So he's come to heal physically, but it's also, again, back to salvation. Those that were blind, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the truth that they would begin to see. And then it says, to release the oppressed. That word oppressed, when you, when you break it down, it means someone who is burdened with grief and living with a sense of failure. I'm not good enough. I messed up. Guess what? That's why God is into the new. You've done it yesterday. That's your past. But that old is gone and the new has come. And there's too many people trying to serve God that is bringing and dragging the baggage of their past that they can't let go. That the enemy says, oh no, oh no, you've you done this. You remember that? And God says, it's going as far as the east from the west. The problem is you just got it in your backpack and you're just carrying it around. You got to get rid of it. No baggage allowed in 2019. And then he says, to proclaim the what? Year of the Lord's favor. 2019 is going to be the year of of the Lord's favor. Amen. Having God's favor on your life. Amen. Amen. Let, let's get going here. So uh, next thing I want you to see is Psalms 3 verse 3. He says, but you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me. And notice I love, this is what we're talking about here. And lift up my head. God's going to, so many of you have been beaten down. And you've gone through life with their heads down in this world. And it says that God will bestow. God will cause your head to rise in victory and look toward him. God's going to do that. A year of breakthrough. Amen. Now, what I want you to focus on, and this is what, I, there's two commitments where I'm going to ask you to make today. 
Because I see it in Christ's life. Would he know in Jesus' life? Would he live? And, and these things. And this is the commitments we're going to have to make. Keys to breakthrough in 2019 in this church life and your personal life. Is, is we're going to start here. And again, this is just the foundation of what we're going to talk about next week. But number one is prayer. A commitment to prayer. So in that first blank, write prayer. A key to this is prayer. Again, we're going to follow the path of Christ, his life, what he's done to, to lay the foundation of what we should be doing, how we overcome in this world. Prayer. And I want you to, uh, what I'm saying here is committing very first to daily prayer and time in God's word, a time with him. And there's a uh, Wednesday night for our prayer meeting, <coughs> I shared this next verse, and I want to share it with you today. I think what happens a lot of times with people is they're intimidated by prayer, as in, I don't know how to pray, uh, I don't have the fancy words, and they, they'll hear somebody praying, and, oh, I can never pray like that. Guess what? There's not one person that ever prayed that God said, whoo, man, that was awesome. Where did you come up with words like that? Wow, I'm going to answer that prayer. I can't help it because it was so good. You use eight-syllable words. Whoa. No. You see, that's what the enemy wants you to think. You're not good enough to pray. You don't know how to pray. And if you do pray, you're going to sound ridiculous. That's the furthest from the truth. Look at this next verse in Matthew 6, 7, and 8. This is Jesus speaking. He says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. Many words, rehearse prayers. Prayer is simply talking to God, telling him your need. He says this, don't keep on babbling. For, he says, for they think they will be heard because of what? Their many words. And then Jesus says, do not be like them. Don't keep on babbling about it. Don't, it's not about how many words you pray. He's saying, don't be like them. He says, for God already, uh, don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. God knows what you need, but he wants you to ask. He wants you to say, Father, help me. And again, prayer should be your first response, not your last response. Let me just share it. 2 Kings, uh, you can just write this down. 2 Kings chapter 20. Hezekiah was there, and Isaiah came to him with a word from God. And he says, Isaiah tells uh, Hezekiah, the Lord, has, the Lord says, get your house in order, for you are going to die. Now, this is the word of the Lord coming through prophet Isaiah to him, get your house in order, because you're going to die. Hezekiah went pray. 23 words, and God added 15 years to his life. R read it, 2 Kings, chapter 20. 23 simple words, and God added 15 years to his life. God just says, 
pray. Pray. Is the, prayer is the key to all things. Prayer isn't fun. I, when, I, when I think of prayer, what I think of it is as plowing the field. Everybody likes the harvest. Everybody likes when the fruit's ready and they eat and, oh, well, let's partake of the harvest. But nobody wants to plow the field. And prayer is the plowing of the field in preparation for the answer to come, for the harvest to come. That's what prayer is. So if you don't plow the field, don't expect the harvest. Matthew 14, 23. Again, that first part was just about don't be intimidated about prayer. God help me. That's a prayer. Huh? Simple. God help me. God move in this situation. God save this person. That's all prayers that God will answer, will recognize. He doesn't need the, you to go into these and thous and talk in Elizabethan English. You're not going to impress him. Okay? You may impress man, but you're not going to impress God. Matthew 14, 23. After he had dismissed them, he went on the mountain. This is speaking of Jesus. He went up on the mountainside by himself. To what? Circle that. Jesus sets the example of how to go through this world. If ever there was a man or someone in this world who you would say didn't need to pray, would have been Jesus. Or who could have got by without praying much, would have been the Son of God. But you don't see that in his life. You actually see him praying more than everyone else. So if Jesus needed prayer in his life, why do you think I could skip? You could skip. <clears throat> so we see the example that, and th there's many examples where it says he went off to pray. Now, uh, when he's getting ready to be turned over, to be arrested, we find him in uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 through 41. I want to point out a few things here. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there to what? Pray. He knew he was coming into a situation, and he knew the only way he could get through it was with prayer. And, and notice what it says next. He took Peter. And in this verse, I'm going to show you a few verses here. He mentions Peter's name twice. And I, I never, I, God never does things, put things in his word just for putting it there. There's always a purpose. So circle Peter. He took Peter and the, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, with him. Now, how many of you know Jesus had already told Peter he would deny him three times? Peter was, what, what did Peter say? Did Peter agree with Jesus? No. Peter was relying on himself that I'm, I'm there's no way I'll. He actually rebukes Jesus and says, Man, what's up with you? You missed this one. I will nev I'll never fall short. Again, in the beginning, relying on their own self instead of going into prayer. Jesus is about to face something, so he goes in prayer, but he takes Peter and the, and the sons of Zebedee with him, and he began to be sorrowful 
and troubled. Jesus became burdened, sorrowful, and troubled. Have you ever been sorrowful and troubled in your life? Did Jesus just call Peter and James and John to the side and just started talking to them? Man, y'all won't believe this. Man, what I'm going to be going through. No, what did he do? He went into prayer. See, if we pray about things half as much as we talk about them, you wouldn't have half the problems you have. When you're beginning to be overwhelmed and think Jesus went into prayer, so what makes me think I, could be, I should exempt myself from prayer? I'm trying to follow the pattern of life that he set before us, the vision of life to succeed in this life. Then he goes on to say this, uh, verse 30, Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed and with sorrow to the point of death. And he tells them, Stay here and keep watch with me. And that word translates awake, to be watched, to stay awake. Be here to help me. Be here to support me. And he says this, going a little further, so he put them three there, and he went just a little further and fell on his face and prayed to his father. He says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. But, and notice what he says next, yet not as I will, but as you will. Can I just encourage you to pray, not my will, but thy will? See, because sometimes we're going through things that we don't want to go through. But in reality, it's best for the kingdom of God that I go through it. See, Jesus was at a point of sorrow and all these things because, number one, he knew he was going to be beaten. He knew he was going to be ridiculed. He knew he was going to be nailed on a cross. But the, I think the most strenuous part of this is he knew God was about to take the sin of man and place it on him. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And he is the sinless child of God, son of God, knowing that the sin of the world was about to be put on him and it would for that second. The relationship with the Father. says this, going a little farther, he fell on his face. He says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as your will. Then he returned and found, the, found them, what? Sleeping. He said, guys, just come up here and stay awake to help me a little. And Jesus tells them, could you not keep watch with me for one hour? And guess who he talks to next? See that name again? He asked Peter, watch and, what's that word? Pray so that you, so that you, Peter, will not fall into temptation. You see, Peter thought he was good as gold. He didn't need prayer. He didn't need to be in prayer because he wasn't going to deny Christ. But Christ knew what, he was, what Peter was about to face. And God, that's what God's saying, Peter, you should be praying instead of sleeping. Because you're about to face a temptation that's going to be overwhelming. And your flesh is weak and you'll give in to it. 
It says, watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. I want you to learn to pray in your peace and not in panic. Hear me. Listen to me. Pray in the time of peace. Don't wait till it's the time of panic. See, Jesus was telling Peter, a time's coming. You have peace right now. You've, you have so much peace right now, you're willing to fall asleep. But he says, an attack's coming. You better be praying now so you have strength for when the attack comes. Pray in the peace for when the attack comes, you're already strengthened. Now, just a, a quick little thing here. I'm going to uh, skip and not, not, we don't have the scriptures there. But how many of you know once they left that place, they went and Jesus was getting ready, being betrayed by Judas? Jesus had strength then. He had peace. Why? Because he went through prayer with his father. Peter slept. And when it started to come around, when, when everything started to go down, what does Peter do? He grabs his sword in panic, chops the ear off of one of the people that were there. And Jesus says, oh no, put away the sword. Calmly, he picks up the man's ear and puts it back on. Who had strength and peace in that situation? Jesus. Why? Because he went to the Father and prayed about it before it happened. Peter, who should have been praying, was sleeping. So we need to commit to prayer. Again, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition. When Jesus began to get anxious about what he was going to face, what did he do? He went to prayer. And so he's telling us here, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then notice what it says. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ. Think of, think of Christ when he was facing his, his arresters. All of a sudden, he had peace. He wasn't there panicking like Peter. And then when they took him off, and when the little girl comes to Peter, says, uh, weren't you with him? Oh, no, 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 I never knew him. What happened? Peter lost the battle because of lack of prayer. Jesus had peace to face what he was facing because of prayer. <clears throat> Matthew 21, 13 says this. It is written, Jesus says, it is written, he said to them, and I love this, my house. He's calling it his house. My house will be called what? A what? A house of prayer. His house, a designated place of worship, will be called the house of prayer. So this is what I want you to understand I want you to commit to daily prayer. God help me. If that's all you could do, that's great. It's better than not praying. Right? You don't need to come up with some big elaborate prayer to oppress God. Just learn to pray every day. And then also where it says my, my house will be called the house of prayer. If you've never attended one of our Wednesday night prayer meetings, this is January started our third year 
of the first Wednesday of every month. If you've never come to one of them, I want you to just commit to one this year, a minimum of one this year to make it there. Because Jesus says, my house needs to be a house of prayer. Next thing is, number two, is faithfulness to his house. Faithfulness to his house. I know I'm keeping you a little longer today, but I think you need to hear this. Faithfulness to his house. He says, my house will be a house of prayer. How many of you know that he didn't disregard the church or temple things? He said there's a specific, uh, my house, which he refers to as in the Old Testament and all, they talk about the temple and singing God. It was a place sanctified, set apart as holy, a holy meeting place for all God's people to come together at an appointed time. Okay? And then notice what it says. He went to Nazareth, Luke 4, 16, following Jesus' example for our lives, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went where? Into the synagogue, into the house of God, which was his custom. Now, I wish I had more time. <laughs> Listen, if you study Jesus' life and you study the Book of Acts church movement, there's three places they ministered. Number one was Jesus ministered in the house of God. Jesus was in the house of God, so it tells me I need to be in the house of God. They ministered, and Jesus ministered, and the New Testament church ministered in private homes. So that tells me not only am I to minister in the house of God and be in part of the house of God, I should be a minister to people in their private homes. The third place you see ministry going on was in public. For everyone to see. Jesus was crucified not in private, but in public for the whole world to see that his, their sins were paid for. And we also have to minister to the public. So there's three areas of ministry that we all need to be involved in. is ministry in the house of God, ministry to pri people in their private homes, and ministry to the public in general. It was an example set by Jesus. It was his custom. If anybody didn't need to go to church, it would have been Jesus. But he went to set the example for people. So we understand that, and we, we see that he ministered in people's private homes, and he ministered to the public. Those are all three areas we have to uh, work on that. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's go to the next one. Hebrews 23, 25 says this. Let us... Talking to believers, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, uh, profess for he who uh, promised is faithful. And then notice what he tells us in verse 24. And let us consider how we can spur, these are believers speaking to believers, let us consider how we, can, uh, how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Listen, if I'm not around other believers, how can I spur them on? And then he goes on to say in the next verse, he says, for this reason, let us not give up, what? Meeting together, as some, as some are in the habit of doing. He says, but let us encourage one another. Now notice what this says, 
all the more as you see the day approaching of the Lord's return. So he's not saying it's just for right now. He's saying the closer it comes to me coming back, the more important it is for you to be together with all the believers. Mark 2, 27 says this. Jesus says, then he said to them, the what? Sabbath was made for who? Not man for the Sabbath. Listen to this carefully. The Sabbath, the day of rest and refreshing, which we come to the house of the Lord and worship God, that, that we break away from the rest of the world and all the cares of the world. Because in Exodus it says, for six days you will work and labor, but on the seventh day you must rest. The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was, man doesn't make it. Who made the Sabbath? God. God made it and instituted and says you need the Sabbath. You hear me? The sa God's the one who says you need the Sabbath to come together and be refreshed in your spirit. Now, I'm going to close with these next two verses. I believe God moves in his house in mighty ways where two or three are gathered. Does that mean one person can't feel the Spirit of God? No. Yeah, you can. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. But he says there's something different when two or three get together. One could put a thousand to flight, two could put ten thousand. When the body comes together, notice, and this is what I want to say. How many remember the day of Pentecost? When the Holy Spirit came down, and just exploded in the upper room. How many people were there? 120. Do you think God only wanted that for 120 people? No. Let me show you some evidence here. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 says this. After that, this is talking about after Jesus' death and resurrection. And just so you know, uh, give you a little more clarity. The Bible says that when Jesus rose from the dead after the third day, he remained on earth for 40 days walking around. So everybody could see that he was alive. He went into towns, he was seen by many, and he spoke to many. And he, the reason he'd done that was that so, you know, that it's not the unsolved mystery. You know, oh, well, his body wasn't there and nobody's ever seen him. Somebody just stole him. No, he says, you know what? If you're going to deny me, you're going to have to lie to yourself. He says, because not only am I out the grave, I'm walking around this earth for 40 days, and you're going to see me, and you're going to have to lie to yourself to deny my existence. Notice what happens here. So this is what he's talking about. After that, he appeared to more than how many? How many? 500 of the brothers... Now, when they usually say brothers, it means believers at the same time. 